eight out of ten Americans wouldn't be able to define the word jihad. On that day, something happened that changed everything. That day was a Tuesday. For most of us, our only connection to the events of that day was what we saw on television. However, we are all connected and that we all have a place. For some of us, it's a spot on the highway. For others, it's in an office. Or at coffee with a friend. It's the place we will never forget. The place where we watched it happen on that day. So here we are, many days later, still hurt, still angry, still trying to understand why. 1 Corinthians 13 explains that we don't see things clearly right now. In essence, we just won't be able to understand in this lifetime things like what happened on that day. However, it goes on to say that one day we will see all things clearly. But until that day comes, we have three things to embrace to help us in our reconciliation. Faith in God, unswerving hope, and love. And the greatest of the three is love. Through the shock and the horror, something else happened on that day. Although the evil intentions appeared to be a success, our country embraced the complete opposite of what was intended. Instead of division, there was unity. Instead of confusion, there was clarity. And instead of falling apart, we banded together. But then again, that's the way one nation under God will always respond. Fifteen years ago, our world was changed in the United States of America when that terrible act of terrorism hit our own homeland. And uh, I thought it would be appropriate this morning that we just pause and have a, a moment of silence and, and just uh, thank God for how he's protected our country um, ever since then. Let's just bow in prayer this morning. And as your heads are bowed and eyes closed, I would like to encourage you just to call on God and thank him. Thank him for for this country that he's given to us and thank him for protecting us and sustaining us. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this, this great land in which you've given to us, Lord. We know that you are God we know that uh, you've given this land to us and every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So Lord, as we, as we stand here today and, and remember the events of 15 years ago, Lord, uh, 
Everyone who was alive at that point remembers where they were at, what they were doing. We will never forget it. But God, um, we know that you have been in charge of this country. You're, you're in charge of us, Lord. And we come before you and we ask you, Lord, to continue to work in this place. God, uh, thank you for how that you have sustained us uh, since that time, since 9-11, 15 years ago. And today, Lord, on this 15-year remembrance mark, we pause and we say thank you for being God. Thank you for what you've done for us in spite of the terrible tragedy, how that in the moments of tragedy we saw in America that pulled together. And God, as we march forward, we know that we have a, a lot at stake with the future election and, and everything that's coming this fall, God. Um, we just ask for your hand to be upon this country. God, we will do our part, but we just look to you and we say, God, uh, we, we know that you hold the palm of the king. Uh, you hold the heart of the king in the palm of your hand. So, God, we stop and we honor you and we say thank you this morning, God, for, for this land. And we give it to you and we ask you to continue to work in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Are there, are there any first responders in the house this morning? You're a fireman, volunteer, paid, EMS, EMT, anybody like that? If that's you, would you please stand and just like to honor you this morning? Okay. They're all out serving, huh? Um, we, uh, we're, we're so thankful. We have a number of people in our church that are part of the uh, volunteer services, the first responders, paid and volunteer. And, uh, you know, we just had a, a fellow up here. We're, we're getting an AED. It's going to go up in a few weeks out there. And they were training us how to, how to work the AED. And, and uh, I was just thinking, boy, this guy's uh, what they do to go out and, and take care and, and be, be there for us. So we're thankful for those guys. This morning, I'd like to welcome you to Crossroads. If you're here as our guest, we'd like to uh, invite you to stop by our Welcome Center. We have a small gift for you, and uh, we're glad that you're here today. Please pass the friendship folders down the aisle at this time, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. Our purpose here at Crossroads, we exist to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and He has been doing that. God has been working mightily in our church. We're thankful. I've been saying for the past few weeks, that God is growing us deep and wide at the same time. Uh, this summer has been an incredible summer. I've watched people grow, and their lives are being transformed by the power of God. Families are coming to Christ. People are being changed by, by who He is. So we're watching our, our faith grow deep, and we're, watching our, we're, we're growing wide at the same time. More and more people are coming, and we're thankful to God for what He's doing in our church here. So we welcome you to Crossroads today. <clears throat> I'm pretty excited. After the service today... Uh, we have a membership meeting, uh, Membership 101, and I think there's about 18 people signed up for that class. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's going to be a fantastic time. We have lunch downstairs, so about 15, 20 minutes after we dismiss the service, we'll get, let the children's ministry kind of clear out, and then we take uh, the big room downstairs there, and we'll have a, a great lunch and just share with you the mission, vision, and values of our church, what we're all about, and uh, how that you can be committed to membership. So we're, we're excited about that. And then Wednesday nights, or Wednesday nights have started up, our Clubhouse Kids. Sunday morning, we call it Canopy Kids. On Wednesday night, it's Canopy Kids Clubhouse. So the Clubhouse is open on Saturday, uh, Saturday, sorry, Wednesday nights. Wednesday night at 6.30, and then uh, and that goes till 7.45. That's for children up through fifth grade. And then over at our, our student center, um, our Straight Street building over there in the library, we have our Connect students, and that's for chil- uh, students grades 6th through 12th grade. We also have a men's study going on and a women's study. 
And then we're going to be launching a, a lot of life groups. I want you to be thinking about this. More details are going to come. But a life group is a group of 5 to 12 people. And, and you get together and you do life together. We're going to, we're going to focus around God and His Word, and, but we're, we're, going to, we're also going to be helping build community and learning how to, how to live life together out there in the name of Christ. So as I've been saying for the past few weeks, they'll meet at different times. Your group gets together. You say, well, our best night is Tuesday night. Then, then we'll let you meet Tuesday night. You can meet in the home. You want to use a room up here, you can use a room up here. Uh, if you want to meet at Starbucks at 6 in the morning, more power to you. Those are great places to meet, right? But uh, you can meet whenever you want to meet, and we'll get the group together. And we've got some exciting plans as we're heading into October to really get, get a lot of new groups going. So I want you to, to think about that and pray about plugging in to, to a life group, all right? So that's coming up here this fall. So we're, we're thanking God for all that he's doing here in the church. He's moving mightily, and uh, I'm, I'm excited. You know, in just a few weeks, you're going to see a new parking lot come out here. Jim Watts has been working on the parking lot for some time, and uh, I think they've been, they've been fine-tuning where the new light poles are going to go and drainage and all that fun stuff. So, um, we, you know, we were hoping to have it done a little bit earlier, but it's, it, it's on the way. So all I can tell you is before winter, you're going to see a new parking lot out there, right? And I'm hoping it'll be in the next few weeks. And with that word, a word of caution, the, the traffic pattern will change a little bit. So we'll try and get a little map out to you so you can be ready for it. But you're going to see guys out there with orange vests and the little batons. All I ask is that you're kind, don't run them over, and uh, you know, just kind of park into the right spot there. All right? So that will be coming up in the next few weeks. I'd like to ask our men to come forward. And as they come forward, we'll receive our morning offering. If you're our guest, feel free to please let that pass you by this morning. This is for those that are growing in the grace of giving this morning. All right, let's pray, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for, for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for how you're growing us as, as believers. You're taking us to a, to a deeper level in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for, for, the, for the many new, new people that you're bringing our way and helping us to grow together as a, as a congregation to, to open up our hearts and our home, Lord, to, to, to the community, God. You're doing great and mighty things here, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we worship you now through giving, that you'll be honored, that you'll be adored, you'll be blessed by the, the, by the hearts of your people now as they worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. You tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers, far and wide, but I know. 
So we're starting a new series, hashtag I love my church, right? If, uh, if you're into social media, you know what hashtag is all about, so give a hashtag out, I love my church. Uh, I told some people maybe you want to put hashtag I love my church, maybe afterwards hashtag crossroads or something, and, and people can scan that and do all of what they do with social media. And, uh, but you know, when, when, I, when I think about this thought, I, I want to do a series on the church. What is the church? What are we here for? What, what's this place all about? And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about church, and probably one of the biggest things, when you see that word, I love my church, it's probably not something you've ever thought of. Maybe it's just a kind of a weird thought to say, well, I love my church. And uh, isn't that a, a weird statement? But I know that there's a lot of things that you say that you love, all right? Now, I'm going to put up one of them here. Let's look at this here. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, all right. Many times you look at puppies and you say, oh, I love, the, I love my dog, you know. Uh, my, my wife somehow has a misconception that this will make us happy. You know, and she thinks if, you know, my kids are in college, she thinks if we have one of these dogs that we'll just be so happy, right? And I've told her clearly not, honey, that won't help anything. So she's been talking about it. She wants a dog. And, and, you know, everywhere we go, she's looking at these dogs and, and, uh, and how happy she would be if she had a dog. And I said, well, I, I think I'd just be doing more work, right? But you, have, you love your dog. Uh, if you have a dog, you love it. You take your dog, you, 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 you take it to, some of you take your dog to the doctor more than you go to the doctor, you know? You love your dog. There's something special about that dog. Uh, here's another thing that you might love. The beach, huh? How many of you are saying, oh, I was there just a few weeks ago. I wish I went back, right? Wish we could stay there. I remember when we were in some places in Ecuador, uh, you know, just some beautiful places. We weren't at the beach in Ecuador, but just some beautiful places. We said, man, it would be nice to build a house out there. Uh, you know, you, you went on vacation. You'd love to stay there. It's just a beautiful place. And then here's another thing that you might love. Check this out. Yeah, going to a Steeler game, right? Lo- loving the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Where uh, I was, uh, I had uh, Fernando who spoke last week. He was, uh, he's from Ecuador, so I was trying to explain to him Pittsburghese, you know? He and he kept saying, "You mean Pittsburghish, <laughs> like Spanish Pittsburghish?" You know? I said, "Yeah, I guess kind of." You know? And so I called, he called Pittsburghese, you know? And I told him that we don't say Steelers, we say Stillers. 
and all that fun stuff. But, you know, some of you love the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know. That, that's what you do. That, that's your thing. You, you're already planning for tomorrow night's game. You, you know what's going on. Next Sunday when the game's on, no doubt people will be wearing the jerseys of their, of their, of their favorite player from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I see a few jerseys in here today from insignificant teams, but not from the Steelers, right? You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it's nice that those other people have shirts. I didn't even know that other towns bought them, you know, but... But, you know, I, I guess you got it for free. It's okay. You know, I love you. But, uh, you know, I know. Listen, they give them a goodwill. You're, you're happy to have them. So anyhow, uh, you know, I, this morning I want you to think about this, though. When you think about loving your church, it just seems so different. I love my dog. I love the stills. I love all these things. But I love my church. And I'm going to share with you that you can love your church. That's part of the series that we're going to talk about is how you can actually love your church. And then it's actually a good thing to love your church. Um, you know, when, one of the reasons that we don't love church, probably, or, or not that you don't love church, but that that statement seems odd, is maybe when you were a kid, you had a bad experience with church. Maybe when you were a kid, you went to church and you felt like it was boring. You felt like it was detached from real life. Uh, maybe when, it, when you were a kid, uh, you felt like you, you were drugged to church, you know? How many of your parents, when you were a kid, come into your room and said, hey, this is going to be the best day of your week. Let's go to church this morning. Probably not a whole lot, right? Uh, maybe, yeah, I had a great experience growing up here in, in the church. I, I absolutely loved to be here. That was, that was not, my experience was not negative here. I, I loved to be here. You know, I, I've told you my story many times. They gave me a donut to come to church. You know, back in the 70s, give a kid a donut, he'd come to church. Who wouldn't go to church for a donut, you know? I didn't know, I didn't know God was there. I knew there was donuts, you know? And, uh, and I was happy to come. And, and, but, you know, I got here and they gave me God. And they kept caring for me. They kept loving me. And I found a community. And it's was like, wow, I, I can tell you that I love my church. I really do love my church. Um, not because I'm the pastor, Okay. <laughs> but because I love my church, because this is where God has given us. This is a gift from God. And if we can really start to understand that, that the body of Christ, all right, this, this is our local gathering, our local assembly. This is a gift from God. He has given this to you. Wow. Now I start to treat a little bit differently. Now I start to have a different aspect. Uh, may, maybe you had a, an experience of, uh, this was your typical experience on the way to church. Dad's in the car kids are in the back seat. He's looking at the watch and he's kind of fuming because mom's not in the car yet. <laughs> mom's running late. Mom gets in the car and for that 15, 20 minute drive to church, blah, 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 blah. And just this big argument's going on back and forth about, you know, you should have been on time. Well, I, da, 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 da. well you didn't have to take care of the kids. And you know, I mean, just this whole thing going on back and forth and you had a really negative experience to the point where you you were fighting all the way into the church parking lot. You heard mom and dad fighting, and you kids are in the back just feeling like, really? Really, mom? Really, dad? We're going to church? Oh, yeah, this is fun, you know? And so this fighting keeps going on all the way, and then something really magical happens as you get closer to the church. You keep fighting all the way into the church, and you see the guy directing in the parking lot, and you pull in, and you're still, blah, 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 and you're going back and forth, right? And then... It's, it's incredible what happens up here. It's, you know, you're fighting, you, you're looking at your wife, blah, 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 blah. you open the door and it's like, hello. <laughs> nice to be here. 
I'm Pastor Ken, you know? And it's like all of a sudden, all that, that Colgate smile magically came on, and you remembered, gee, something was really different about whenever we went to church. And so we all have these different stories about church and different things that, uh, that, that have caused people pain. Other people have had pain because the church at times was judgmental, because the church maybe was uh, uh, rude. And that can happen without you know, without even trying. And I think sometimes that that's, that's not, listen, that's not what the church is about. Uh, I, I talked to somebody the other day. They came to us and they said, hey, I had a really bad experience at, at a particular church, and I won't say uh, the name or the denomination or anything, but they, they said that they were at a particular church and they were treated very rudely, that, uh, that, that, they, were, that they were felt like they were not welcomed at all there. And, I, and, I, and here's what I say to that. If you had an experience like that, I apologize. I apologize on behalf of the church, on behalf of the church at large. I apologize for that. I pray that never happens here. And if you've had that experience here, I apologize for that because that is not what we are all about. That's not what the church of Jesus is about. He, he did not call us to be judgmental, to be rude, to be ignorant to people. And yet sometimes that happens. Well-meaning people can go down that path because they are well-meaning and not understanding and caring and trying to really help somebody find the love of God. Uh, why, you know, I, I want you to think this morning about this. Why is it that we can love a puppy? Why is it that we can love a team that's running a little pigskin football up and down a field? I mean, we don't even know these people, and we say we love the Steelers. Why is it that we can pour that type of, into that, and yet when it comes to our church, we don't, we think, man, that's a weird statement. This morning, I'd like to encourage you that it's okay to love your church. And as a matter of fact, it is encouraged to love your church because Jesus loved the church. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says this, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. The Apostle Paul is teaching here, and he's teaching to the church at the, at, the town, at the city of Ephesus. He sends them a letter, and he says, for husbands. It's in the context. He's telling husbands and wives how to get along because, you know, this is an age-old problem. This hasn't happened. Just, this isn't something that we have to deal with. It's been happening for thousands of years. Husbands and wives need to learn how to get along. And so he's teaching the husbands and wives. He has just got done. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And he's going through this whole, whole ordeal. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. It's okay to love the church. Jesus loves the church. As a matter of fact, I would say he set the example for us of loving the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy, verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Do you realize that Jesus took the church and he's making us holy and clean? When he died on the cross, he paid for your sin. You have been made holy in the sight of God. And here, the scripture here tells us that we are washed by the cleansing of God's word. This is an absolute centerpiece. Jesus is the centerpiece of the church. If we come and we don't talk about Jesus, we don't talk about his word, we haven't had church. All right? So there are many places that you can go. I've talked to some other people. They said that they went to a church, and the pastor didn't use the Bible. He didn't use the Bible. I was like, how do you have church and you didn't use the Bible? 
He didn't pull up one verse in the whole sermon. They said he told really nice stories, but he didn't use the Bible. One of, one of the key things when people leave our church, they say, hey, you, you use God's Word here. I, I learned something from God's Word this morning. This is the centerpiece. Why? Because how is our life transformed? How is our life cleaned? By the washing, the cleansing of God's Word. And that is how it happens. So, in our church, that's why, that's why we do that. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Verse 25, he says, Love as Christ loved the church. I want you to think this morning what Jesus is saying there. He's basically saying, I love my church. Jesus says, this is his church. He says, I love my church. As he, that, now he's talking about the church at large. The church around the world is global. And I want you to understand what the word church means. If you go to Webster's and you look up the word church, you will see that Webster defines it primarily as a building. He says uh, the, uh, the first definition is a place where people gather to worship, a, a building, a facility, like we have here this morning. And certainly in English, that's probably the biggest misconception we have of church. Because we think of churches here. This is the church, right? And then we think of the church down the street and the church down the street. and, the church, and So we think of churches. But the word church here is really bigger than a building. When we think about churches limited to a building, that's a very limiting term. Okay? And, and certainly in English, that is one of our uses. But the, the original language is a word, ecclesia. And what that means is called out. It's a gathering. It's a, an assembly of those that have been called out. The Greeks, they understood an ecclesia. They had, uh, it, was, it was common in Greeks to, to form an ecclesia, so call people out of the community for a specific purpose, for a specific meeting. So that, that, was, a, that was a common thing that would happen, an ecclesia. And Jesus here says, I love my ecclesia. This is those that are called out, his gathering, his, those that have called according to his purpose. That is his ecclesia. It is a movement that was started by Jesus himself. It is not a building. It is not a denomination. It is, it is not something that you can confine. It, it has been going on since Jesus was here, and, uh, and, and we have this movement across the world. And this morning, all around the world, not just this morning, last night, all day today. People are gathering in, in, in gatherings like this. And that's why I like to refer to our services as gatherings. Uh, because we're gathering together. And we're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We come in, we sing unto His name. We look at His word. We get washed in His word. That's why we come and gather together. But the word church here is bigger than just a little building. It's bigger than just, here's the church here's the steeple, open the doors, and hopefully out come the people, right? You remember doing that as a kid, you know? Uh, that's not the church. That's the church building. That's a building that we've chosen to meet in. I was uh, talking with Fernando last week. They planted three churches in two years. None of those churches have a building. He said the one meets on a soccer field, and sometimes people drive a car right in the middle of their assembly. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Could you imagine right now? Hey, get up, move. This car's coming through. All right, we'll continue our study. Uh, they're, they're just out there. They're meeting. They're gathering together. See, the church is not a building. 
And so Jesus says he loves his church. He loves, Christ died for the church. This is a global movement. He died for you. You are part of his church. Uh, It's not a building, it's not a denomination, but rather a movement. And this here, our church here, is is the local church, okay? And I will say this, I love the local church. I really do. I love the local church. I love our local church, my church here, your church. I love it here. Um, You know, why? Because this is the gathering of believers locally. We're part of something much bigger, this is, but this is where we gather to grow together, to, uh, to share with one another, to build one another up, and to build a life that's more than just an hour on Sunday, to build a life that is going to be transformational, and, and we're, we're, we're living life out there. That's why we're, we're talking about life groups and so many things so that we can, we can grow a church movement, not a building. Not, not a large crowd, but to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. He says, I love my church and I gave my life for the church. Jump over here to the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Uh, you know, here's another. This, this is a great, great um, passage on the beginning of the church. On what, as far as I can see, this is the first time that Jesus talks about the church. You see, there's something that, that, that they didn't have in the Old Testament. They didn't have the church. It started about 2,000 years ago. It started when Jesus was here, and, and Jesus is the one who, is, uh, who we're going to look here at what he has to say about the church. But in the Old Testament, they had a temple. They had a tabernacle. They came, and they, there was a place where they had to come, and they had to do rituals, but we have the church today, something bigger than that. Uh, See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and was dwelling in the temple, right? Today, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ. Uh, And so, so we have something bigger than a temple. We have the church, and it's when we all come together, and collectively, we are his church. Now look here, verse 13. This is uh, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came in, in, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I've read this passage many times. There's a, there's a whole lot here, and, and we're going to get to some, some of the real meat of, of the church, what the church is all about, why God... Why God, you know, you're going to see some really exciting things about why God left us the church. But one important part here. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he's going into this town. And I've just read that over because I got to the meat of the passage. But there's a big detail here. Ray Vanderlaan shares uh, that there's a lot of importance behind this word Caesarea Philippi. That location... You know, when sometimes we read through things and we think it's insignificant, and let me tell you, every word in the Bible is there for a purpose. It's, just, it, it's there for a reason. And if you go through and you understand where Caesarea Philippi is, one author says that we think that it is like Jesus took his disciples down the road to the neighboring village. And what, here's what it was. He was in Bethsaida, all right? And he has to go all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. Google Earth there. You'll love Google Earth. You can find everything on Google Earth, right? Uh, this was 
no, no modern transportation. They're walking on foot. It's a 32-mile round trip. You're talking four, five, six-day travel just to get to this location. And, and listen, Jerusalem isn't even on this map. Jerusalem is much further south. So Jerusalem, it's so far away from Jerusalem. A lot of the ministry of Jesus was around Jerusalem. And now he's taking these disciples up to Caesarea Philippi. And he's going to do one of the greatest teachings on the church is right here in Caesarea Philippi. So why did he go all the way up there to Caesarea Philippi? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a town that, uh, that a good Jew would not go to. Rabbis taught that a good Jew would not go to Caesarea Philippi. And let me tell you why. Because it was a messy, messy place. It was a place where they worshipped a god called the Pan God. And you can look up about the Greek god Pan. And uh, he, was, he was half man, half goat. And uh, a whole lot of stuff about, inf- uh, about fertility and all kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you, it's gross. It's just gross. It, it, it was ta- you want to talk about immorality? This was a place of immorality. You want to talk about Sin City. You know, we think of Las Vegas as Sin City. Well, you could think of Caesarea Philippi as Sin City times 100. I mean, Caesarea Philippi would make Las Vegas look like Finleyville, you know? It, it's just like, it's, it's so much farther, so much far worse. Um, the, the immorality, the, the worship of false gods, the, people's lives, there were a mess. Everything, listen, when you, when you went to Caesarea Philippi, no good Jew would go there. So here's Jesus, and he's got his followers, his little group of 12, his understudies, if you will, and, uh, and he takes his understudies to the town that no good Jew would go to. And as he's getting there, look what he says here. He says, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Um, you know what Jesus was doing? He was going to a place where there was messy people doing bad, bad things. And let me say this this morning, that Jesus is not afraid of messy people. Would you read that with me? Jesus is not afraid of messy people. You may come in, to, in here this morning and you have so many things that are, are so messed up. You're, you're looking at life and you say, man, I made this mistake and I made that mistake and I blow it here I, and I've got all these issues going on. Jesus walked into this town, Caesarea Philippi, and as Ray Vanderlaan states, there's a big reason why he, why he taught this there. And he taught it there because he is making a statement as to whom he is going to die for, as to whom the church is really for. It is for all. It is not just for the religious down in Jerusalem. He's not going to start his church in in Jerusalem. He's going to start it, and he's he's going to tell you the people that he needs. Jesus wasn't afraid of the mess. And uh, may I say this, that, that everyone has a mess. You think, well, I've got life going pretty good. Well, I want you to do inventory and say, wow, you know what, in light of a holy God, our life is a mess. I have a mess. I am a mess. You're looking at a mess right here that is in the transformation process of God. God has been transforming my life for as long as I can remember. Since I was a little child, I gave my heart to Christ. And guess what? God is always working on my life. 
There's attitudes, there's actions, there's thoughts. There's all kind of things that we have to deal with that God is transforming. And true transformation only comes from the inside. See, I can tell you what to do over and over and over. That's not going to transform you. Transformation comes when God gets inside of our hearts and our life and he makes this happen. It's in his power and in his strength. So when Jesus came, Jesus came to this town of Caesarea Philippi. He's really making a huge statement. And that little insignificant detail that we tend to just read right past in the meat of the passage, I want you to realize that it's there for a reason. Because we all are a mess. We are no better than those people. We are no better than people that have a mess that we think is greater than ours. As a matter of fact, one of, one of the reasons for judgmentalness from time to time is that we think that somebody else's mess is worse than my mess. Or somehow that I don't have a mess. And listen, I have a mess. I have to come before God every day with this mess. And God's transforming me. Now, we want, we want to encourage you along the path of transformation. That's why we come together here week in and week out. Uh, the, our goal is the, to let you, as, as Paul said in Ephesians, to be transformed. Let the Word wash you. Let, let this Word make you clean. Uh, you can't make yourself holy. This is what makes you holy. You can't do it. That's just good works. But when God changes you, He transforms you. I am set apart unto the glory of God. That's what our church is really all about. Our church is filled with messy people. God loves messy people. Jesus loves messy people. He went to the cross for messy people. And I want to encourage you this morning to to look at the mess in your life and look to God for the transformation. I heard the... the, um, the CEO of, uh, I guess that's what they are, the CEO or the leader of the Salvation Army recently in a, in a speech. And, and she got up and she gave a speech and she said, do you understand that the world is crying out, that they are hurting and they are crying out for everything good? She said, do you really think the man sleeping under the bridge that's been consumed by alcoholism, do you really think that he wants to be there? He is groaning. She said the world world is groaning because we are captive to this sin. We are captive to these things that have fallen and they're they're killing us. And I thought, wow, it really caught my attention. The Salvation Army, as they're out there trying to do some good to to make an impact, the greatest impact comes when Jesus visits the man under the bridge or the man who lives down the street or he visits your house. See, when God does that, we're we're all crying out. Listen, the the reason that the mess really bothers us is because we're crying out. We want the good. We so desire it. Since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve took the fall, and with the very first sin, man has lived under this hardship, under the, the fall of sin. And we've been groaning. We've been crying out. And there's only one person that can fix that. Only one person can help, and that's Jesus Christ. Understand that we have a mess, and then show others grace. Because Jesus loves messy people. And that's really been transforming my heart. I'm going through a transformation process on this. How many times have you said, well, they ought to, 
they should, they, guess what? You could do that in my life. Well, I should have. I did, I, I, we can all do that. And I need to show grace to others. And I need to have others show grace to me. And that's how the church works. We have grace one for another. So here he is. He's in the town of Caesarea Philippi. Who do men say that I am? And over in verse 14, he says this. And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You see, all the people, that they, he was saying, in the midst of all this, this, uh, this terrible condition of the people, he's looking and saying, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the people, is, yeah, you're a good man. You're a prophet. Jeremiah. All right, who do you say that I am? And look how Peter responds. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter responds, this is the question of questions. Who do you say that I am? You know, when you get to heaven, the answer to this question is the important part. Because it's, the answer to the question isn't, well, you know, you're just a nice man. You had good moral teaching." The, the answer to the question is, well, you know, I was encouraged to go to church, and I played the game. No, no. The answer to the, this is the question right here. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, he's saying, look, the, the only way, the only hope for these people, we're in Caesarea Philippi, the only hope for these people here is the answer to this question. You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. You are God, the long-awaited Messiah. And look what he says here, verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, listen, it, it's, it's not, you didn't learn this from reading a book. You didn't catch this from, from some hearsay around the town. God the Father is speaking to you. Now, verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, <clears throat> he says here, I will build my church. Who will build the church? Jesus. Would you read that with me, the yellow words? I will build my church. Who's going to build this church? Is it the pastor? No. Boy, that took a lot of weight off me this morning. I don't have to build the church. Um, is, it, is it the youth pastor? Is it the children's ministry director? Is it the staff? Is it Jim Wants? Uh, no. God says he will build the church. Now, we come, we work, we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're all working together. But who is the one who builds the church? It is Jesus. He says, I tell you, Peter, and on this rock, a lot of people have this idea that, that he was saying, Peter, is the rock. Well, Peter's name means rock. It's Petros, all right? And uh, it means rock. So it's kind of a play on words. He's saying, and you, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, not on Peter, but on the answer to the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock, that is a rock-solid fact that will last for eternity. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Upon that, I will build my church. Now check this out. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I had, I had this concept about the gates of hell. Here's what I thought the gates of hell was. I thought that this verse meant that here's our church, and just because we're up on a hill, I've always visualized the church up on a hill, right? I visualized the church up on a hill, and that hell was somewhere far away, down in the valley somewhere, and that whatever happened in hell would never affect the church. and would be all right. We wouldn't even smell like smoke. And that's not what the verse is saying. Let me tell you what was going on here. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades. There was a cave in Caesarea Philippi. There was a cave. And out of this cave was a stream that ran. And all the pagans referred to it as the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. They thought that's where the, uh, uh, the spirits would come out and things like that because it was the, they, they viewed it as the stream coming from the cave, the gates of hell. So when Jesus is standing there, now I could just visualize, Jesus is standing there, and, and he's in the town. Maybe he's right by it. We don't know, but we know he's in Caesarea Philippi. But this is on their minds, and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, the gates of a city. The gates of a city was for protection. They would build a wall around the city, and then there would be a gate. And, uh, and if, you know, it all depended on how good the gate was guarded. If the gate wasn't guarded, you'd storm the city pretty easily. But you had to have a gate to come and go. And so what Jesus is saying here is not that, okay, your church is over here, and whatever happens in hell isn't going to bother you guys. No, no, no. He's saying this. Your church, my church, I will build my church, and you will storm the gates of hell. It's a term of aggression. We will go and snatch people out of hell unto heaven. You will smell like smoke, but the gates of hell will not prevail. Wow. Do you know what that means? That means in the town of Caesarea Philippi, you will be bringing people that are messy unto God. Over in Jerusalem, those were, the, those were religious people. They understood it all. Yeah, they, had, they knew all the rituals. They knew all about worship. You're going to go to people that don't even know about God. Does it sound familiar to our culture today? Who's God called us to go to? Your neighbors. The people you work with. The people that you, that you are rubbing shoulders with. And they may know God or they may not know God. They may not have anything in common with you. And l- listen, for the disciples, they're in Caesarea Philippi. You want to talk about something totally uncommon? They were good Jewish boys. They grew up. They went through Bar Mitzvah. At Bar Mitzvah, they memorized the five books of the Bible. First five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had it down word for word at 12 years old. Uh, that's, that's what these little boys were. And so they're up there in Caesarea Philippi with people that, that have not, not read the Bible at all, don't have anything memorized, and, and they're worshiping the pan god, and, and there's this big cesspool of sin everywhere, and they're like... And Jesus says, in that text, in that context, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to encourage you this morning that, uh, that we can understand this because Jesus keeps his promises. Jesus keeps his promises. 
And, uh, and, and he, he's a promise keeper. You know, he says, I will build my church. There's another promise that he made. He made another promise, and that promise was that I will rise again. He tried to tell his disciples four or five different times. He tried to tell them that he was going to rise again, destroy this temple in three days, and I will rise. And they didn't totally catch it. But let me share with you what the angel says at the tomb the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. This is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. She said, uh, the angel says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord laid. Jesus keeps his word. Jesus keeps his word about sin. He says that the soul that sins, it must die. And he keeps his word about that. We're messy people. We have sin, right? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I deserve to be separated from God forever and ever. But not only does he keep his word, he follows through with his love. He's the perfect balance of grace and truth. And so he has to follow through. So Jesus leaves heaven to become a man. And he comes in the form of a man, 100% God, 100% man, yet without sin. And he goes to the cross. He pays the price for eternal life. And all that you must do is open your heart and trust him. Transfer your trust onto him. Stop trusting your good works. Stop trusting. Stop, stop denying. Stop, stop looking to any other thing. Stop looking to the, to the things of this world for your fulfillment. You know, we, we do that. Sometimes we're not just trusting to get to heaven in our good works. We're, we're trusting other things to fulfill us. We're trusting in partying. We're trusting in, in whatever, indulgence of all sorts of things. And we think that that somehow will give us more peace than God will. And he says, no, no, no. Listen, stop trusting all those things and come to Jesus. He's the promise keeper. He is the one who has made the promise. And because he rose from the dead, he kept his promise to rise from the dead, he will keep his promise to build his church. Some of you say, well, I don't need the church. I can grow on my own. Actually, you don't say that. You're here today, right? <laughs> my dad used to say that growing up because he didn't like to go to church. Whatever reason, uh, things happen, right? Got hurt along the way. And I would tell you, if you've been hurt along the way, it's okay. Keep going. But I'll never forget, my dad would say, I don't need to go to church. I have the Bible. And I have God here at home. Yeah, he's right. He has the Bible. He has God at home. But he doesn't have church at home. Today, you could say, I have the internet. I can listen to David Jeremiah. He's a fantastic preacher. Way better than I am. Recommend you listen to him. <laughs> I listen. That's not the church. See, the church is right here. The church is when we gather together. When we are sick, we pray for one another. That's the church. When we're having burdens, we bear one another's burdens. That's the church. Uh, when we're trying to bring somebody to Christ, we share that burden and we pray and we ask God to, to transform lives. That's the church. You see, you don't get that by watching a video online. You don't get that by watching something on TV. You don't get that by having a one-on-one -on -one study at home. And I certainly recommend all these things. They're all great things. But the church is so vital. You can't do this. Jesus uh, will, will never 
walked, Jesus will never lead you away, okay? He'll never lead you away from something that he gave his life for. Jesus will never lead you away from something that he gave his life for. And I want to encourage you, listen, you, 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 everybody has reasons. Everybody has issues. I, I, I have issues. Everybody does. But guess what? We're messy people that have been saved by the grace of God. And he's transforming us. I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a group, listen, in these life groups, I want to have a place that we can share. We have Celebrate Recovery. It meets on Friday nights. What, what, that's what we're doing. We're talking about this. We're working through things. I want to encourage you, jump in, find those places as we start looking ahead. But Jesus will not lead you away from something that he gave his life for. There's no isolation Christianity. I'm so thankful for that. He didn't just die on the cross and then send you a Bible in the mail. He sent you the church. And that's why we're here. Let's bow and pray. As we close our service this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to encourage you to be thinking about Jesus' promise. And he says, I promise you, I will build my church. That takes a lot of pressure off of us. We are doing everything that God's called us to do. As, as he said in the Old Testament, You prepare for battle, but I'm the one who gives the victory. So God's called us to work in the church, everybody, every member's a minister. He's called us to to go out into his fields, to, to storm the gates of hell. So I'd like to ask you this morning, maybe you're here and and you have a mess. Your life's gone through a lot of mess, you've gone through a lot of pain. Maybe you're thinking of all sin and all the things that you've got to deal with and God says I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross my wrath was satisfied in Jesus Christ on the cross I love you accept my gift of eternal life become a follower of me learn from me get into my word learn from me if that's you this morning I'd like to encourage you to start a relationship with God. And you call on the Lord this morning. Just quietly pray something like this to God. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. My life is a mess. I'm giving you my mess this morning. I need you to transform my heart, Lord. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And I'm trusting you right now, God. I'm inviting you into my life because you're the only hope I have. For you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for others this morning, maybe you haven't been storming the gates of hell. You've been afraid of the mess. Mess causes pain. Mess is ugly. Mess is hard and Maybe you've been afraid of the mess. I want to encourage you today. God says he will build his church and he will use you. Don't be afraid of the mess. God went to the cross to pay for that mess. He went there not just to pay for your mess, but for the mess all around us. I want to encourage you. Let's be the church. Let's go out and take Jesus at his promise that he will work in and through us. Father God, I pray that you help us as we respond to your word this morning. 
I thank you first and foremost, Lord, that you love the church. We are the church. Not the building, not a denomination, not, not any of those things, but, but we are the church, the followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have, you have called us to your name. You've allowed us to worship you. You've allowed us to be washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. You've allowed us to be washed in the Word of God. Lord, as we come and we gather, we, we know you'll continue to transform but we want you to transform us from the inside out, not conformity from the outside in. God, I ask now that you'll be with each person as they respond to your will, respond to who you are. Thank you, Lord, for giving us our church, for we love the church, and we're trying to love the church as you love it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. And as we sing... Feel free to come and kneel and pray at the at the altar. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper. Good, good Father, it's who you are.